because it was, it was from the Lord. And the anointing oil was not an ingredient, was not a recipe that anybody could make or counterfeit. You could not counterfeit this anointing oil, which speaks to us of that there's the anointing of God cannot be counterfeited. It's a spiritual sacred thing. And it's something that comes from God and it only comes from God. And it can't be manifested and it can't be, it can't be conjured up in some way. And so he comes, Zechariah comes to the, to the prayer altar and he's there and he begins to light incense. And then we see the next thing that happens. <clears throat> and it says this, whole crowd is outside waiting <clears throat> in verse 10, verse 11 of Luke chapter 1. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar. What does that mean? Jesus is standing on the right hand of the Father today and he's offering prayers for us. He's our high priest. He's praying for us. This is a picture of the, of the, the power. Of the right hand always meant in the Old Testament a picture of approval and the work is finished and that there's nothing else to add to it. It's a place of authority. And so the angel here is standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So you got it? He's standing in front of the, the, the altar of incense. Behind him is the lampstand and the, and the showbread. And it's dark in that room. And, and then Zechariah, verse 12, saw him and he was troubled and fear, fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, and by the way, I want to say something about angels a little bit later in the message today. But there's a reason why he felt fear. And the angel says to him, Do not fear, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Where do we see Zechariah praying here? We don't. That tells me, and this really struck me this morning, that when we go to God, and we go to God in prayer, even though we don't voice our prayers, God knows the prayers, the deepest prayers of our heart. You may be here this morning, you may have a prayer in your heart that you're just afraid to even pray. And we lived in Ukraine. We met so many times people that just, I don't know how to pray. And we met here too, Texas. People just, I don't know how to pray. And you know, when we come to God, God knows the prayer of our hearts. Psalm 139, he knows the deepest thoughts of our heart. And that's really beautiful. And there's no condemnation here this morning if there's something that's on your heart. I think sometimes we don't feel like we can ask because we feel like that we're not good enough. But he knew the prayer of his heart and the angel who's Gabriel says to him, um, your prayer was heard and your wife's going to have a son and his name is going to be John. And it says here in verse 14, and this reminded me of what Pastor Jomi said, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be a great, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And we're talking about the story here of John the Baptist from the perspective of light during the Christmas season and the Christmas story. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be a great, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he, will, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children as it was prayed this morning and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just I'm sorry uh, and the disobedience to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord Zechariah said to the angel how should I know this for I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years he knew he knew not to say his wife is old <laughs> smart man right there uh, I'm old, but my wife's advanced. 
<laughs> she's advanced. She's upgraded. And the angel, and the angel answered him in verse 10, uh, verse 19, I am Gabriel. Who's Gabriel? Gabriel is one of the mighty angels of God. And he is noted in the Old Testament as an angel that was uh, bringing the news, the proclamation, the, the instructions from the very presence of God himself regarding the dealings of Israel. Uh, Gabriel can be seen as an angel that was very engaged in the, in the things of the state of Israel, defending Israel, the workings of it, the fulfilling of prophecies. We see Gabriel um, speaking and, and preparing and doing things when God is doing something with the state of Israel. There's another great mighty angel, and his name is Michael. And he is the great angel that was more involved with the dealings of the Gentiles. We see him in the book of Daniel when he is dealing with Daniel, the, um, the man of God and living in Persia. Michael is speaking to Daniel regarding what's happening with the armies coming from Greece. And so, so God has these mighty angels, and they have, they have these incredible functions and these incredible roles. And I want to talk about that maybe a little bit more in a minute. And he will turn. Uh, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I love that because whenever we see the mention of authority or validation or affirmation of someone's authority, it's always described here the angel that stood in the presence of God. I stand in the presence of God. That's my authority. I stand in his presence. You know, I've done nothing to, to, to earn that. I have it because I stand in his... If you stand in the presence of the Lord for your family, then you have authority with God. A teenager, a teenager that has, can have authority with God, you know, can pray and things could happen in their family. Stand in the presence of the Lord. And he said, I stayed in the presence of the Lord, and I, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that those things happen, because you did not believe my words. Angels we don't see don't really have the level of grace that God does. They're a different creature, and I've always noticed this about angels, is that they're always kind of just getting the job done. Uh, they're not preachers. They're not people that are just like, you know, bringing like, oh, you know, the... They're just communicating. And then angels, because angels, and get this, the, the, the Apostle Peter says that angels desire to look into these things about the revelation of the grace of God in your life. Because angels never needed grace. Angels never needed the love of God. Angels never needed redemption. Because they are standing in the presence of God. And that's why when demons fell, when angels fell uh, in rebellion against God, they don't receive grace. They don't receive love. They don't receive mercy because they're angels standing in the presence of God. They saw face to face what we don't see today. And they felt that was a choice that they made. And so there's no redemption for angels. And we don't pray for angels. And so we see these angels that are standing before the presence of God. And he, Gabriel silences Zechariah. So he comes out of the temple. He can't talk. He's just, he's just waving his hands. He's just kind of like, you know, people are like trying to understand what's he doing in there so long. He comes out and he can't talk. And he can't talk for these several months, like nine months until, um, or, uh, yeah. Nine months. 
I got this. <laughs> you guys know what I'm wrestling with right now, don't you? Until his son's going to be born. And then when his son's born, we see this amazing thing happen. And um, in the sixth month, in verse 26, the, um, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city and he appears to Mary. I want to talk about that in another sermon. And then so... Um, in verse 57, Elizabeth's time, chapter 1 of Luke, had come to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and cousins heard how the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, because that was tradition on the eighth day, to come and circumcise your child. Um, and they were calling him Zechariah, after the name of his father. But his mother said, no, his name shall be John. And they're like, why John? That's not a family name. And we see later on, they, get, they say they motion to the Zechariah, like, okay, what do you want to call him? He, he motions for, you know, a writing tool and some, something to write on, and he writes John. And we see here in verse um, 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke and praised God. Fear came upon all who lived around them. And all these facts were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all of those who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will he be? For the land, for the hand of the Lord was with him. You know, we see here the, the answer to the prophecy of the great light that would be shining in Galilee in the land of Israel. And we see that this would be Jesus Christ. Jesus, the life of Jesus Christ is the light of men. It's described in the book of John. When we look at the life of Christ, his life is shedding light on things to give us understanding. Light always illuminates things that were a mystery. Light always gives us definition about things we don't understand. When we pray for wisdom, when we pray for insight, we're praying for light. We're asking God for light. And this light comes from God. And this light is always going to shine on the, like it did in the tabernacle, it's always gonna shine on Jesus Christ and exemplify his mighty, great sacrifice, okay? And so here Jesus is coming and he's going to be the light. This was a very dark time. And this is, this is what I prepared to share with you um, this Sunday. This was a very dark time in Israel at that time. Um, I'll get into angels next week because there's a few things I'd like to say. I wanted to talk about cherubim a little bit this morning, but we'll, we'll do that next week. This was a very dark time in Israel, as we see in Isaiah chapter 9. I think that we live in dark times right now. And there's external darkness and there's internal darkness. Every one of us in this room, everyone that we know has internal darkness. It has some kind of, there is some kind of darkness inside of us that is there because of isolation and secrecy. It's there because it's something that we don't want to have exposed. We are so insecure about ourselves or about our relationship with other people. That if we were to have these things exposed, the inner darkness of our hearts, we would be, we think we would be so embarrassed, we would be, feel that we would be rejected. I think if you are very close with someone, you can see sometimes the darkness that they struggle with. But why are people struggling with darkness? Well, at this time in Israel, there are three reasons why there was so much darkness in Israel. Number one, there's this crushing legalism. And this is 613 commands were added to the law of Moses by the Pharisees. There's so much legalism. There's so many rules and regulations that were determining people's value, 
that this created an incredible inner darkness. And we live in that today, don't we? We live in a society that are not necessarily only religious rules, but there's social rules, there are economic rules, there are cultural rules, there are different rules that we live by in our culture that if we fulfill these rules, we feel that we are celebrated, accepted, and that we're valuable. But there are people today, and even in churches, that are not meeting these rules because they don't, they're, they're just, they're, we're, we're, because we're broken people. And the second reason, and I want to talk about it in a minute, the second reason why there was so much darkness in Israel at the time was that these rules, these, this legalistic system that was, that was introduced, that was brought in by the Pharisees, created a lot of isolation. It isolated people, people that needed help like the woman that had an issue of blood, like the lepers, like these other people that were excluded from society, that needed help, that needed really the touch of Christ, that needed the people of God. And they were isolated. And when people isolate, and we saw this during COVID, when people isolate, there's mental illness that comes in. There's, there's difficulty. There's crazy thinking that begins to happen. And the third reason, the, the third thing that all of that leads to is just demonic activity. There was so, I mean, if you read the Gospels, you're like, wow, like all these demonic situations and people and demon-possessed people and all of this stuff going on. Why? Because that is what happens when the, the, the legalistic system of rules and regulations outside of the value of a person reign in a society. And so there was so much darkness. There's darkness today because... I think because of just a very real reason. And what makes people sit in darkness today? I think it's when people start to internalize the shame that they live in. And what is shame? We've talked about it before, but guilt is when I can point at something and say, I did this wrong, I, that, is, that was wrong. That's wrong what happened, that was wrong what was done. Shame is when I take that that action or that thing and I don't take it to the cross and I don't take it to the feet of Jesus. I don't take it to Calvary where the blood was shed for that. I don't take it there and when I don't take it there I start internalizing that. Something could happen in your life or somebody else's life and if we don't have Calvary's perspective on that thing that happened to me then it's gonna, I'm going to internalize it and it's going to become darkness. And all of us deal with stuff like that. Stuff we grew up with Everyone in this room, there's something in our heart where, where we have not, it, it impacted us so hard. The failure or somebody else's failure was so traumatic to me that in, that in some way got internalized inside of me and it, it makes, there's some darkness there and we don't know what to do with it and we start internalizing and we're sitting in darkness. And Christmas is a time where God sees our darkness and you know what? He's not ashamed. I think that sometimes when we see people's trouble. We see people's difficulty, people's tragedy. I think sometimes we were ashamed to look. And I know that has happened to me. I remember living in Ukraine and there was a period of time where, where there was just, they still are there, but there were gypsies everywhere. And this is a, this is a, this is a nomadic group of people that come from, probably from closer to the uh, you know, Romania or, or out in India. There's, there's two or three different types of gypsies in Europe. And there was, and what they used to do, and this is very sad, but they would maim their children at the time of birth, and they would have that maimed child beg for food and, 
and money on the street. And there was one of these little kids that was like that. He was now maybe a 10 or 11 year old child and he, would, he was sitting, I remember he would sit in this, um, uh, he would sit in this kind of a baby carriage base like wheels and he would just sit there begging. And I remember seeing him for the first time and it was such a pitiful sight, I couldn't look. You ever been in that situation? You just see, you know, you drive down the street and there's people asking for money and you just can't look. And, and, or you can look, but there's just something that's like, ah, shameful, I can't look. That just, it's embarrassing. And I'm embarrassed. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't turn away. And we've said this before, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus sees the multitudes. And that word see means to look and not turn away. Jesus looks into our darkness and there's no condemnation. He sees it and he has compassion. He has compassion. That's the light of Christmas. That's the light of the gospel. The compassion of Jesus Christ. He looks at our troubles. He looks at our rebellion. He looks at all of our brokenness. And he's, and he's broken and, and he's not compromising. He's not saying, he's not excusing it, but he's looking in beyond whatever the people see. Sometimes we're dealing with people's rebellion and their sin and their habits and their addictions and their, their reactions and the way they act out things and the problem is much deeper. It's a, it's a hidden place of darkness there that the love of God wants to get in there. Jesus looks and there's that darkness. And this is why, and I love this so much, and I love this, and I want to close with this is that Christmas is the story of how Jesus, the Son of God, was born in a very dark time, in a dark world, and he was born at night. Most of the world celebrates Christmas, um, Christmas Eve. It's, the big, it's a bigger holiday in most parts of the world, except for, except for maybe here we celebrate Christmas Day. But Christmas Eve is a, is a time where we are celebrating Jesus Christ being born in vulnerability, being born in humility, a God becoming a man. And if you understand anything about ancient mythology, that was just so outrageous to even think that way. And Jesus is born in a manger. He's born in a dark place. He's born in a place where, he's born in a place where there was just no, you know, there was, there was no place for him to be, to be born and to be lain. And he was there and Jesus was not ashamed to be born in a manger and he's not ashamed to be born in our darkness. And I want to close with this is that God is not ashamed of our situation. He's not ashamed of our needs. Um, he's not ashamed of our failures or successes. He actually dwells in thick darkness. And if we could go back to the tabernacle illustration at the beginning. When you would go into the holiest of holies through that veil, there was no light there. The lamps, the lamps didn't shine through that veil. It was absolutely pitch black. It was dark in there. And the only light, so a priest would go in there and he couldn't see anything. He's bringing the blood. The only way that he could see was if the glory of the Lord was there enlightening the place. It was absolutely dark. And he would bring the light, he would bring the blood and there would be the presence of God that lights. Psalm 97 verse 2 says that God dwells in thick darkness. You ever feel like you're in thick darkness? You have no idea which way you're going? Where's up? Where's out? <laughs> Where's the exit? Thick darkness. And you know something? Jesus is there. He was born in that. It's not something that we run from. We want to run from darkness. We want to run from dark situations. We want to run from stuff we don't understand. 
We want to run, 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 but Jesus is there. He's actually born there, and he's living there, and this is where God dwells in thick darkness. In the book of Exodus, it's beautiful, chapter 14, as the Israelites are running from the Pharaoh's army, they're, they're being chased, and there's this moment where the, the Egyptian army catches up with Israel, and they're about, you know, they're about to be just consumed and killed, and then that night, what happens? There's, God puts a darkness and a light between Israel and the enemies. The darkness that you're suffering, that you're struggling with right now, is darkness because of spiritual warfare, because the devil's blinding the eyes of the devil from what he's doing in your life. And the devil cannot see or even understand the light of Jesus Christ. He can. And that's why God allows darkness in our life, because he is enlightening that place. He wants to be the light in your... He doesn't want us to be lighting a match or trying to find our own flashlights or figure things out with our own light or our own information. He wants, he wants us to go to Christ and say, Lord, could you enlighten the situation? In Psalm 139, verse 12, it says this, that there's darkness and light are the same to God. Isn't that amazing? There's no darkness to God. We're in dark because we don't see, but God is there. God dwells in thick darkness. As your Israelites are walking across the desert for 40 years, during the day there's this, there is this cloud leading them. Not fire, but cloud. Darkness, obscurity, thickness. That speaks about our walk of faith. When you take steps of faith in your life, things get dark. <laughs> it's like Zechariah, right? Say, you know, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to trust God for things in my life. I'm going to take steps of faith in the right decisions that I need to make. And then suddenly darkness comes into the picture, right? You're like, what happened? I remember my dad got saved and we were just a successful family living in York, Maine. You know, my dad gets saved and then darkness comes into the whole situation and everything just changed. It was unbelievable. But God is in that thick darkness and he's speaking to you and I. And he's there, he's shining his light. And what is that light he's shining? His compassion, his love, his grace. He's there as a compassionate father. He's not there as a critical eye with a judgment, judging look. And this is how we, this is how we, this is how we get out of that shame and that darkness. We look at the light, we look at Christ, we look at his life, we look at his words, fear not. Many times he's speaking in the book of Luke, speaking to the children of Israel, fear not, little flock, for yours is the kingdom. Jesus is saying, the works that I do are great, but you will be doing mightier works. He says, when I rise again from the dead, the Holy Spirit will open your minds to the things I'm doing now. You don't understand them right now. He's speaking. And I think when things get dark in your life, open your Bible. That's when the light begins to shine. The devil will do whatever he can to get us away from this book. Be in the book. Just read your book. Just read your Bible. Just read it. Open it. Read it. Let it speak to you. And when that happens, then our identity, we're not living in shame. We're living in the significance, the security, and the identity of who we are in Christ. We're no longer trying to perform. We're no longer living in shame. Because we're, we're okay because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if God can show up in the darkness of a stable among shepherds and animals and smelly places, then he can show up anywhere. Psalm 139 says that if I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. God is not ashamed of you and I. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. But he's there to, to be with us, to heal us, to change us, to comfort us, to give us a new purpose and a new and a new place in our life, a new position. And that's a place of love, grace, 
and mercy no matter what's going on if you're advanced in years or if you're very young like Mary who gets pregnant without a son I mean without a husband that's going to be a great story to talk about next week amen